and it is past time that people again recognize the value that there is in changing people's lives for the better by providing those programs, those services to New Yorkers who need it, and that we need to make a collective effort to invest in a sector that literally changes New Yorkers' lives for the better. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Salgado. Throughout the pandemic, many of our neighbors struggled to make ends meet for the first time in their lives. And oftentimes, it was New York City's human services workers, employed by nonprofits, who were the ones to step up and help. They made sure everyone in line at the food pantry got what they needed. They helped the homeless get housing, and they provided comfort to those struggling with mental health. But for all they do, nonprofit workers are notoriously underpaid. In fact, a recent study showed that in New York City, wages are so low that around 15% of nonprofit employees qualify for food stamps. Enter the Just Pay campaign. They're working hard to create a comprehensive wage schedule for government-contracted human services workers. Today, I talked to Nayela Amaru, the Director of Policy and Campaigns for the Human Services Council of New York, about how we need to push elected officials to end government-sanctioned poverty wages for nonprofit workers. But before we begin, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey & Company. Find out about the biggest ideas in business on McKinsey's Insights app, where you can listen to podcasts like our flagship show, The McKinsey Podcast. We're so not tuned in to the dynamic going on for the current employees. What matters to them most? Or watch our author talk series featuring law professor Dorothy A. Brown. 60% of Black college students don't graduate. And when I came across that statistic, I got so depressed. And read lots of articles about, for example, The Next Normal, where you can learn about the coronavirus's latest impact on business. To hear, see, and read more, download McKinsey's Insights app now. Now, back to the show. Here's my conversation with Nayela. I am Nayela Amaru, and I am the Director of Policy and Campaigns for the Human Services Council. So tell me a little bit more about the Just Pay campaign. How did it begin? Absolutely. So the Just Pay campaign is a new campaign that we launched um, recently. And the goal is to essentially end government sanctioned poverty wages for the human services sector. It has been a long time coming as a result of COVID. It really intensified this need to organize quickly and effectively in order to address government decisions that were harmful prior to COVID. But when COVID happened, I think a lot of the inequities really came to the forefront and made it crystal clear that the sector was providing critical services that provided stability to New Yorkers, particularly vulnerable New Yorkers, in the midst of a global pandemic. And the workers that were literally putting their lives on the line in order to provide these services, such as food pantry workers, uh, workers who work who worked in homeless shelters, mental health uh, service providers. You know, if, if there was a service that was needed to provide stability to New Yorkers, 
it's our workforce that offered those services. And, you know, coming out of COVID, there was this realization that we really need to be deliberate and identify what are the things the sector needs from government specifically as we try to move out of this pandemic towards an equitable recovery. And uh, a key recommendation in terms of moving forward was to pay equitable salaries to the workers, particularly since uh, a, a recent report that was published by the Human Services Council last summer showed that a majority of our workers are women and people of color. And a majority of our workers were black and brown workers who were actually on the front lines during the global pandemic. And so really just recognizing that there is this need, again, for the sector to intentionally organize and to mobilize as a sector, which had never been done before, and to lead this way with Just Pay campaign fighting for better wages for our workers. And were they essential during the pandemic and which ones were the most important? The politics of who decides who's essential, right? So I think that without question, our workers are absolutely essential. However, government has not recognized them as being essential because they have been paid so poorly through city as well as state contracts. Our workers were literally the ones who were feeding our hungry who were housing our homeless, who were providing stability and comfort and security to folks who were having uh, mental health episodes. And so when we're talking about who is the most essential, we have to really take a consideration who are the people who left the safety of their homes every day to go to their jobs, to provide safety and security and stabilizing services to New Yorkers who were also, you know, again, experiencing instability in their lives for a variety of reasons. But our workers are literally the workforce that, that are the safety net for, you know, New Yorkers who need it across the city and across the state. And they are all essential. Where do they get funding for their paychecks? So our workforce are funded by city and state contracts. And this is important because a government is the primary funder of the human services sector, right? And because they are the predominant funder, they essentially determine the salaries for our workforce. And this has been an issue for a variety of reasons. In fact, it, it is a common practice for both city and state government to outsource jobs that it would otherwise do as a city or state to nonprofits. But when it outsources those jobs, it is common practice to cut it by 30%. And the government would tout this as a government savings. But the reality is, is that government savings comes to the economic consequences being shouldered by majority Black and Latina women since since that is a majority of our workforce. And so these poverty wages are a direct reflection of the decision that government has traditionally made to not invest in the sector, which is most unfortunate, again, because this is the sector that is the social safety net for millions of New Yorkers across the city and state. And I think we kind of touched upon this a little bit. How much has the human services sector grown throughout the pandemic? It has actually not grown um, there has been significant layoffs, um, again, because government has cut funding that has that has made it more difficult to recruit and to retain a, a human services workforce. And so that is an unfortunate reality that results in 
less programming and services for New Yorkers who need those programs and services because there simply is not a workforce um, there to provide it. So I guess like you could say the need has grown, but the workers have decreased. That's correct. And what would you like the city and regular New Yorkers to know about the jobs that nonprofit workers do? I would like the city and state government and the general public to recognize that nonprofit workers are the people that provide stability to New Yorkers who need it most, right? And I think that this is important, especially at this moment of time when we're talking about equity and racial justice, you know, and, you know, trying to move out of this pandemic as a city and as a state and as a nation, we need to value, we need to recognize and value the amount of work and commitment that our workers go to their jobs every day that they're underpaid to do and go above and beyond, you know, every day to provide, again, stability and security to New Yorkers, millions of New Yorkers across the city and the state. And it is past time that people, again, recognize the value that there is in changing people's lives for the better by providing those programs, those services to New Yorkers who need it, and that we need to make a collective effort to invest in a sector that literally changes New Yorkers' lives for the better. I also spoke to Benice Mack. Benice has a master's degree from Binghamton University and is now working as a project coordinator for the nonprofit Chinese American Planning Council. Her salary is $50,000 a year. Benice decided to pursue a career in the human services sector in July of 2021 amid rising anti-Asian sentiment. And while she's passionate about what she does, there are days she doubts her career choice. My name is Benice Mock. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I work as a project coordinator at the Chinese American Planning Council. My program is called Mobility Labs. And essentially, we strive to understand how to sustainably lift individuals out of poverty. Just tell me a little bit about how you started working there. You know, how long have you been there? Yeah, so um, I pursued my master's in public administration, and I graduated during the pandemic, actually. So it was December 2020. I remember sitting in like an online Zoom class and being like, this is the terrible, like this is the most horrific time to enter public service. And it was like so overwhelming because there's so many different things that were going on that we've never really experienced before. And it really made me start to question like, does anything I do will ever matter in terms of like public service? And during that time, I remember feeling like really overwhelmed. So instead of kind of like sitting at home and doing nothing, I decided to volunteer virtually online. I worked with Cove Community of Volunteer Educators. And then that was when it was also the census. So I also worked as an enumerator with the census just because I understood how important it is in terms of, you know, policy um, advising as well as it was the 2020 presidential election. So I also signed up to be a poll worker. Um, So from there, I did a lot of like different things of like community engagement in that time. And I also signed up to be an AmeriCorps VISTA member with Throw NYC. And from there, I was also looking for full-time positions. And it wasn't until the 
increase in hate crimes within the AAPI community that I approached public service from like a racial perspective. And that's when I went to CPC um, and I was like, oh yeah, like that's a great opportunity for me to serve community members that look like me and that I also speak their language. What has it been like? And like, what's your number one priority and need? Yeah, so my team within CPC is pretty small, I want to say, but within the other different services that we provide, I do know that they often do have a big struggle in terms of recruiting people because a lot of our funding is from government contracts and whatever is given in terms of like the salary range is essentially what we can offer to other people. So even in the office, when I'm like sitting and I hear other people recruiting on the phone, a lot of the time they start to like, hi, how are you? Um, you know, are you interested in taking on a new role? The pay might not be as great as your current location because we're a nonprofit. And it's it's funny because I feel like when we say that, it's almost as if the fact that you work for a nonprofit means that you have to kind of have that differential and like compensation based on the type of work that we do. And I it's been hard, I guess, because I had a really rough time really deciding that I do want to pursue a career in public service. And to me, I know that this is the field and career that I want to pursue. But at the same time, does that mean that I should be penalized, that we should be penalized for choosing a career in this sector? And I argue no. And working in an environment when we're constantly underfunded, understaffed, it's not healthy for anyone. And how did you get involved with the Just Pay campaign? Yeah, so I know within CPC, we have always been a supporter of the Just Pay campaign. And when the rally was coming up, that's when Carlin reached out to me um, to invite me to speak at the campaign and rally. And that's how I got involved with it. But I do know that CPC recognizes that whatever is given on government contracts a lot of the times is not a great representation or reflection of the work that our employees actually have to do. So that's why we've been always advocating for higher wages for human service workers and um, just connecting with other organizations that also value that as well. Would you mind going into depth on like how much you get paid? Is that enough? Where does your paycheck go to? Yeah, so for me, I get paid roughly 50-ish K and a lot of it goes to, like, so I still live with my family. So it goes to, like, paying really to, like, support family in terms of, like, rent, housing, electricity bills, things like that. I also recently came out of my master's program. So a lot of it also does go into, like, paying back student loans as well. And I've just been trying to save a lot more in terms because the pandemic has taught us that like anything could really happen at any time. So what I have been trying to do is really learn how to, I guess, budget and be more financially literate in terms of um, what it means to balance saving for the future, but also making sure that all my needs are met at the moment as well. Is there anything specifically that, I mean, you would like to do, but you can't because of your current salary? Yeah, I think I would definitely want to go to therapy um, just because of how emotionally like heavy this type of work is. 
when you work in like public service for an extended amount of time where you're always listening to community member stories of like the incidents that they have to go through, that's bound to be like a lot of emotional burden that we also have to carry as well. So I think, you know, being able to really take care of my mental health as well is really important to me um, just to make sure that I, I'm always able to show up for my community members and ensure that the services that I'm providing them is to my best of my ability as well. Why should the city pay, you know, nonprofits and human service workers more? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we tend to forget that human services worker have been on the front line since the very beginning of the pandemic and even before. Um, And we have to recognize that the individuals that are employed in these roles also have a family to be caring for. Um, we also have to take into consideration all the economic impacts that have been happening around us, especially with inflation um, the past few years and what that means for our families, community members, and employees as well. So it's, it's very ironic that you know being in the field of public service, even though we do get paid, we're also in need of the services that we help our constituents and family members apply for as well. Our neighbors like Benice, who have devoted their lives to helping disadvantaged New Yorkers, now need our help. Here are a few ways you can get involved. First, share your own story. If you or someone you know worked in a nonprofit during the pandemic, let people know how the underfunding impacted you. You can also write letters to your senator, assembly member, and council member and ask them to support the campaign. We've added links in our show notes where you can find out who your representatives are if you don't already know. Above all, it's important to simply recognize the hard work of human services. After all, New York City wouldn't be what it is now if social services hadn't come to the rescue during the pandemic. Make sure to check out our show notes for more information and resources related to the Just Pay campaign. Finally, before we go, a weekly segment with our community manager focused on COVID-19 here in New York City. The federal funding that covers the costs of COVID-19 testing, treatment, and vaccine administration has officially dried up. This puts uninsured individuals here in New York City and across the country in a position where they'll need to start paying out of pocket for any COVID-related healthcare services. That is, unless Congress passes the White House's request for billions more in COVID relief. So what do these costs actually look like for uninsured individuals? The good news is that the existing supply of COVID-19 vaccine doses remains free to all Americans. But what we don't know is how large the existing supply is. So if you haven't already been vaccinated or boosted, now is the time. As for testing, uninsured individuals will typically need to pay between $100 and $200 per PCR test, depending on the location. The city may continue to fund vaccine events and testing sites like ours in Queens Village, but we have yet to hear back. Stay tuned. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. Will the additional federal funds make it through Congress? Will state governments pick up the slack? Will our uninsured neighbors be left behind? We'll keep you up to date. For now, if you need an at-home test, 
a vaccine or booster shot, or any other COVID-related resource, you can always reach out to me directly at daniel at epicenter-nyc.com. You can also call us at 917-818-2690, or click the link in our show notes for more ways to get in touch. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music, links to, in our podcast description.